everybody. Welcome back to the EPR Creation Studio and the Unconquered Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jason Staples. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing to you for an affordable price. EPR Creations built ShowTheSafeties.com for me. And if you haven't signed the petition over there for viewing angles that allow us to see the passing game on television, please do so. This podcast also brought to you by my forthcoming book. If you have any interest in Judaism, the Bible, the roots of Christianity, support me in the podcast by buying my book and then buy an extra one for your pastor, priest, rabbi, shaman, or that one crazy uncle who's into conspiracy theories. Links in the show notes. All right, we're going to go ahead and uh, I was planning on this next on this podcast to be about a week ago and uh was hoping to be able to go through the early signing class, which I still haven't done. Sorry about that, everybody, but I'm doing the best that I can here, given some limited resources and time at the moment. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and actually use this this episode to talk more about four more transfers that Florida State's gotten. And then I'll probably get into a little bit on the, uh, on, on the recruiting class, uh, but I won't do the full show on that. I'm going to leave that for the next one. But, uh, but Florida State has added four more transfers who have enrolled since the last ep- uh, episode and they've also added a commitment from a fifth so we're we're, we're going to talk about the transfers the the other ones that they've added since our last episode and again in our last episode we talked about KZ Milton we talked about Jermaine Johnson the second and we talked about Jarquez McClellan from Arkansas all three of those guys quality additions from the transfer portal uh, particularly the first two who really met key needs uh, they 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 desperately needed an edge who could uh, who could do the things that they want that edge to be able to do, basically being able to rush the passer first and foremost, and then also handle setting the edge in the run game, and then being able to drop back in coverage more fluidly uh, as they ask their guys to do that. And they were able to get those guys uh, guys in, and of course you know Casey Milton being the most important and uh, the highest ceiling transfer that they've that they brought in. But the, the the next five guys that we're talking about here, all five of them are quality additions once again. So we're gonna go we're gonna go through we're gonna start on the offensive side with DJ Williams, the running back from Auburn. Now he he went he's from Lake Placid, Florida, Sebring High School, and and I think I want to call attention to this in terms of where the transfers are from, in in and where these guys that they're adding came from. You'll notice a trend here in terms of where these guys are, are coming from, that these new additions are coming from, what high schools they went to. And, and first of all, actually, before we even get to that, you'll notice that all of these guys are, that all of the guys that they brought in fit certain elements that I think are, uh, that, that tell us about what they're trying to do in terms of, of flipping this roster and the the first thing is that they're not just going after high ceiling guys. These aren't former five star recruits that didn't pan out at their last stop, or guys that couldn't get on the field at their last stop. That's that's not who they're bringing in here, and that's often what you see in terms of transfer portal additions. I mean, you look at last year, Miami brought in multiple guys who had basically been busts as recruits at their prior stop. And then they were hoping that basically talent wins out and a change of scenery is going to end up having that guy come closer to his potential than what he lived up to at his prior stop. And it it worked out for a couple of them, particularly Jalen Phillips, who had actually been uh, medically disqualified 
at his prior stop. And now it looks like he's going to be a reasonably high draft pick after a really good year at Miami. So that's one approach you can take is basically to try to find guys that haven't quite lived up to the potential, but they still have that potential. And you're banking on that. That's not what Florida State's done. And it's not it's not necessarily a bad approach. I mean, it doesn't hurt to default to guys that had the athleticism coming out to be regarded as elite recruits. But what Florida State's done is they've gone after guys who have the the talent in terms of have the physical capacity to play at Florida State, no doubt. But the priority has clearly been to get guys who've shown that they can play at the level that Florida State needs, who've shown that they can produce, that they did produce at their prior stops. And you go down the list. I mean, Milton, uh, yeah, no questions about his prior productivity, his ability to play at this level. The question is injury, right? Jermaine Johnson, the second from Georgia. First of all, you're dealing with a guy who is from an S- one of the top SEC defenses and from an SEC defense that runs a very similar system to what Florida State runs. So first of all, you're getting a guy from a, a, a peer program. You know, UGA is definitely a peer program of Florida State. And secondly, you're getting a guy who produced at Georgia, not a guy who couldn't get on the field. Now, he is a guy that got passed up some this year, but he still is out there. And a guy that, but over the last two years, a guy that that did produce at Georgia. And then Jarquez McClellan, a guy that actually started as, as a freshman in the SEC. Was he dominant? No. But could he play? Could he hold his own and, and compete at, the, at an SEC level as a freshman? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you're looking at three guys that have proven it, that have proven that they can play at this level. And then you look at the guys that they added, the guys that we're talking about in this podcast episode, and it's the same thing. DJ Williams from Auburn. And this is a guy that, you know, you could make the case that in terms of roster, well, do they really want to add another running back? I mean, they've got a couple body. And then you put the tape on and you go, oh, yeah, I see why they added that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a good player. Former four-star recruit, first of all. And again, from Sebring High School in Lake Placid, Florida. So you're you're starting to work into some into some high school uh, in, into the into the region that you want to want to work into. First of all, trying to you're trying to make sure that you can develop relationships. There are multiple ways of developing relationships in in a state, and this is what I was getting to earlier. If you look at where all these guys are from, you'll start to see that trend that. Mike Norvell is really wanting to make sure that he can start to uh, build relationships in the state of Florida. Well, one way to do that is to bring in guys who are going to be good for your culture, but they know how things work at the at this level. They're ready to play. And then when they're actually in your program, they can go back and they can talk to their coaches and all of this and tell them what's up. Yeah, this is a guy that I, I think you should send your players here. And if you start looking down the list, you go, oh, Keir Thomas Kier Thomas is uh, from Miami Central. Yeah, that's a that's a school you want to be in. <laughs> yeah, you you definitely want to have a, a strong presence there. And if Kier Thomas is 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 happy, if he feels like he's gotten coached well, and you're talking about a guy that has plenty of experience, all of a sudden you're more into that school more more so even than you'd be just bringing in one guy from that school as a freshman, because 
This guy, he, he's, got, he's got more clout. He's got more experience. So that, that's something to, to note in terms of where these guys are from. But anyway, starting with DJ Williams, this is a guy who had 600 yards rushing in the SEC and had 130 rushing yards at LSU in 2019. Got a little dinged up in, in 2020. Not exactly as strong of a year, but you, you pop the tape on and you see outstanding contact balance. You see very good power. Really, what you see is a guy like LaDamian Webb, but a bit of an upgrade on Webb. And Webb was pretty good in Mike Norvell's offense. This guy's a really good fit for Norvell's offense. You know, about 210 pounds, 5'10", 210. So a guy that kind of fire hydrant build, strong lower half, very strong through the core. And like I said, excellent contact balance. He runs through tackles and shows very good vision on, on the tape. Good, not elite speed. But this is a guy that you can basically plug in along with Corbin, and you've got your workhorse backs that can that can split the load there and can run between the tackles and do all the things that you want to do with your running backs. And this is a guy that can also catch. So a really good fit schematically, a guy that also Dillingham knows and worked with he was Dillingham was one of the guys that recruited him to Auburn and, and and then coached him in 2019. So he knows exactly how good this guy is. And when he hit the portal, he became an immediate priority precisely because, again, Dillingham's going, that's a guy that's an NFL running back. And this this staff, I'm telling you right now, this staff believes that DJ Williams is going to play in the NFL, that he's an NFL caliber running back. So that's why they added him. And they feel like they've they've just upgraded the, the the running back room and gotten a lot better just by that addition. And again, you're looking at a guy that has produced and he's produced against quality defenses. So this is a guy that I think basically is a is a pretty significant upgrade over what they had at that spot last year to go with Corbin. So that that like I said, that allows you to let those two guys split the majority of the load in terms of the the bulk of the carries, and then allows Toafili to continue to be a really good change of pace back as he continues to to fill out and and work his way into being the kind of body that he needs to have at this level. So I mean they're they I think they shored up quite a bit there. And again, he's a guy that you pop the tape on and you say, yeah, he's got he's got potential to play in the NFL. And like I said, Dillingham and the rest, they think he's going to play in the NFL and that he's that good of a of a prospect. The next guy, already mentioned him, Care Thomas. 6'2", 275, like I said, from Miami Central in Miami. He's a guy that actually, he was committed to Florida State back five years ago. So, you know, he, there's there's some familiarity there. This is a guy that can that, that knows a little bit about Florida State and the legacy, obviously from Miami, knows what he's, knows what he's dealing with there. But I've also gotten a chance to see, to see him a couple times in terms of what he was doing at South Carolina when... South Carolina played North Carolina, and I broke that game down and all this. This is this is a, another good pickup, and and one of the things that that you see with Thomas is this is he an elite athlete? No, no, he is not. Is he a guy that can make a difference on your defensive line? Absolutely. He's not going to be one of those guys that's going to live in the backfield, but he's a guy that can basically play three positions across the defensive line. So he gives you some flexibility. I think he's got really good overall short area quickness and he's a technician. 
He understands how to use his hands. He was very well coached at South Carolina. That defensive staff, one of the best in the country. I'll take just about any South Carolina guy that 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 that's out there in terms of on the defensive side. Muschamp was a really good, is a really good uh, judge of talent. And also they did a great job of coaching those guys. And they play physical and they play hard. And Thomas was a guy that stood out on the South Carolina defensive line in terms of his, uh, his, he was a really difficult guy to block in the running game. So to me, so Norvell has said that he, they're, they're planning on, on starting him out at the Fox position. That's a little surprising to me. I, I would have assumed he would have been on the other side uh, at the, at the defensive end position, but what they're trying to do, and you can see this in their, in the way that they've handled this in the transfer portal last year, they were awful on the boundary side of the defense especially in terms of the 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 Fox Janarius Robinson the backer over there the 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 boundary corner the buck that that whole side of the field the boundary side teams were able to run to that side and then they also were able to throw to that side because the two boundary corners were among the worst in the country in terms of if you look at the numbers Jerrion Jones and Akeem Dent both of whom have talent just got eaten alive on the boundary now Akeem Dent was hurt last year was never 100%, never fully got healthy, never really under, never really got to, to comfort level in the defense. And Jones also was dinged up at different points. He also struggled at, at, at different points as well. Curious to see whether or not uh, Jones ends up being a candidate to uh, to move to the other side of the ball. But uh, because he, he does move really well and he's got good size. So start to wonder there. But uh, but in any case, they they couldn't stop anybody to the boundary side. And what they're gonna, what they're trying to do with Thomas is basically get a big body that they can stick on that boundary end that on first down and on standard downs where, you know, first down, second and five, that sort of thing, that he can basically shore up the run defense on that side. That suddenly you're able to, with someone who's going to be technically sound, with someone who's going to play really hard and who has the the requisite physicality and quickness to handle that, that edge, that they basically can handle that they can that they can shore up the run defense in particular on that side of the defense and then ultimately where a lot of his value lies is on third down you kick him down inside and he becomes kind of a demarcus walker at the defensive tackle spot and that's really where his biggest value is is as a pass rusher on third down on passing downs on the interior he's really good I mean, he, he does get penetration. He's a guy that plays, again, with super high energy, very good technique, and really good short area quickness, and is hard for guards and centers to block. So he's going to be a guy I expect to see him inside on passing downs a good bit. And that's really where his value is. Now, if they can add another edge, if they could add, if they could go in, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, if they can add another edge who's just a little bit more of a, of a long body and all that, then maybe he, he moves inside a little bit uh, on other other plays as well at times, but, but he's going to play outside. He's going to play some inside, gives you a lot of flexibility. And the, the best thing about, again, what you're doing when you're bringing a guy like this in is this is his sixth year. He know he's been down that road. He knows how to play and he knows how to play physical and to prepare and do all of the things that you want up front. So you're also dealing with bringing in someone who can show some leadership for some of the younger guys on the roster. And again, you're trying to flip not only your personnel, but your culture. And he's a guy that that really helps you do that 
and every basically everything in terms of the effort level and the preparation and all of that that you could ask for he's shown at the south at south carolina so that's that's a huge thing speaking of huge getting the right real estate agent is huge and if you're in the jacksonville area go with lewis marquez of keller williams realty best in the business out there tell him you heard about him from the unconquered podcast if you're in the research triangle if you're around chapel hill carborough durham then the right choice is Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast as well. All right, so let's move into the other two. And you can see, again, what they're trying to do here. These are This is two defensive backs. And th- so this means they've added three defensive backs in the transfer portal. And this is surprising to most. And, and honestly, I was a little surprised that they that they ultimately brought in three of them. But when you start to look at it, it does kind of make some sense. So the first one, Jamie Robinson, and this is a guy from Lee County High School in Leesburg. So this is just up the road. Lee County is a place where Florida State really wants you want to be in that school. They produce talent and they produce talent that plays with an edge on the on the defensive side of the ball. So that's something that that also, again, you're, you're getting into a school that you want to be in. And you're getting in there not necessarily by not by by landing a guy and recruiting out of high school. You haven't maybe developed those relationships just yet, but now you're developing those relationships by bringing in a guy as a transfer. And Robinson's a guy who he started again. This is another guy that started as a true freshman in the SEC and had a lot of success. So this is a guy who is is disruptive and versatile. Those are a couple things that really you can you can kind of hang your hat on when you watch Robinson and Robinson actually reminds me just sort of how he runs, how he moves and just his overall mentality, the way that he plays the game, the attitude with which he plays the game. He reminds me of Greg Reed. Now Reed was a corner, a little bit smaller overall, but he's basically a rocked up Greg Reed who plays more of the nickel corner safety position. Really similar type of player, though, where, you know, he's sort of that little bit of squatty type build, strong for his size, not a, he's going to come up and he's not afraid to hit anybody. He's going he's gonna to come up, he's going to hurt himself making a tackle before he's going to back down. One of those, kind. there's some dog in this guy. And a guy that understands, you know, where the football is going to go, versatile, can play across the, across the secondary. And really just brings that kind of mentality that you want. So a lot of Greg Reed in this guy, just in terms of what I see on the field. And again, similar to Thomas in this respect, he's not somebody that I'd call elite. I mean, he's not, he's, he's not a guy that you go, okay, that's, that's a day one starter in the NFL type player. Not that, but he is a guy that you look at and you go, yep, that's an instant upgrade and an instant starter in your secondary. He's going to start somewhere. Whether that's at free safety, whether that's at buck, whether that's at the at the stud nickel position, he's going to be on the field because this is a guy that that he's he's going to play with that chip on his shoulder and he's going to be one of the leaders on your team again day one. Just because of of the mentality that he plays with, the intelligence that he plays with, and I, I again I think he gives you some flexibility in the in the secondary because he can cover. He's not a not really a corner in terms of coverage. You know he can't cover like that. But he covers better than most safeties. He gives you the ability to uh, 
to have a guy that's a hitter that that can handle the run the run support without losing a lot in coverage. So you're upgrading one of your safety positions here just just by bringing him in. And again, you're dealing with a guy that can play both safety positions and the nickel position without any without any question. And I think he's a pretty pretty smart player from what I can tell. So again, that's a, a high value player. And you're raising the floor, really, of what you're doing in the secondary by adding him. Similar to what you're doing also with bringing in Jarquez McClellan. You're raising the floor. Okay, if one of you guys, one of you guys who's super talented doesn't work out, if one of you guys is starting to get eaten alive, I know this guy can compete at this level. I know this guy can do it. Now, if one of you guys beats him out, then that means you did something. So now you've raised your floor. And that's really what they're trying to do here. And you think about it, Last year's secondary had talent, but it was terrible. And what they've decided to do is to throw some bodies at it and say, we're not going to be terrible in the secondary anymore. That's not going to happen. We're going to, we're going to go and get guys that have proven that they can at least be good, at least be decent. And some of them can be at least good. And then from there, hopefully we can raise, raise the ceiling. We can move toward the ceiling, but at least the floor is set. And I think that's a big part of what they're doing. And again, with Robinson, you're adding a junior. You're adding a guy that's an older player that is ready to come into that leadership role and understands how to prepare, understands how to play in a complex defense, understands all of the the habits that you have to have to have to play with the kind of uh, of intensity and the level that you want to play at on defense. And again, coming from a really good South Carolina defensive culture, so that's that's a plus. Then the the fourth guy that we're talking about here is Bre- is Bam Moore, Brandon Moore from uh, from UCF. He's another guy from UCF, and and he's a guy that's close to KZ Milton. So there's no doubt that there that Milton would have had some uh, some impact here in terms of being able to tell the coaching staff, okay, how far along is he really? Like, look, should we bring this guy in? There's zero doubt that you're gonna that they're gonna have talked to Milton about where, where's he at and is where's he really at in his rehab. Because this is a guy that two years ago, going into the 2019 season, was he had he had a, he had a probably around a, a third round. He was a second day NFL draft tag uh, on him. He he was he was in that range in terms of draft grade. So a guy that that pretty much everybody assumed would get drafted after 2019, and then he shredded his knee. So ACL and a dislocation, bad knee injury, and that was at the beginning of, uh, of, of 2019. So I think that was actually in the opener. So then he sat out all of 19 and then actually sat out of 2020 as well. Rehab that injury for over, he's actually over a year and a half in. So he rehabbed that injury. It'll be two years of rehab since he last played. So he and he, he and, uh, and Casey Milton have not really played football in quite a long time. But here's the thing with more, you're not just raising your floor. You're raising a ceiling here because this is a guy that, like I said, came into the 2019 season with a, a draft grade that was comparable to where, you know, Asante Samuel is going to be looking at the, at, at, in the NFL draft. So, you know, second, third round type guy. And, uh, and you're looking at a guy that, Mike Norvell knows exactly how good this guy is because they went against him. 
called plays against him. He saw this guy cover his own receivers. He knows how good he is. And then, you know, you, you put on the tape, and I have it, put on that tape in the Fiesta Bowl, and you see what he did against LSU, and he, hold, he held his own against LSU with Joe Burrow at quarterback and with those wide receivers. Now, yeah, that was pre-Joe Brady LSU, but still, those receivers, man, were not nothing. And he actually managed to have a 93-yard interception return for a touchdown against that LSU team, against Joe Burrow and that LSU team. So you talk about a guy that, again, can play at that level, a guy that has proven it with his, uh, with his production at the college level and against SEC-level talent. And really, Moore is a guy who, whereas McClellan is more of a kind of physical fighter, Moore is a fluid, long corner who... If, if, if things go right and if he's actually fully recovered from that injury and, and that that was not an injury that he should not be able to recover from. And with two years, you feel like you're getting him 100 percent. So if everything is, is as it should be, then he's a plug and play starter at boundary corner. Not a question. And now all you have to deal with is the other corner on the other side. And again, you're dealing with a guy that came from a program that in the time he was there built from a, a program that was losing, that couldn't win a game to a program that went undefeated and had, you know, and claimed a national title. Well, what does that tell you in terms of what you're bringing in culturally? You're dealing with a guy who knows how to go to work, especially two years of rehab and all of that. Just the, the attention that you have to pay and the patience that you have to show. It's a guy that you're immediately adding leadership to your team. And that's what they've tried to do here. You look at Keir Thomas, you look at Bam Moore, you look at Jamie Robinson. Those are all guys that you bring in, not just because they are giving you some potential upgrades at those positions. They are that. But what you're doing is you're resetting the floor and you're establishing a different leadership quality on your defense, which desperately has lacked leadership. And you're saying, we're going to, these guys are going to show us how we're going to set the bar in terms of intensity level, in terms of attention to detail, in terms of the standard that we're going to try to hold around here. And that's what they're trying to do. And they're doing it with quality players who, you know, Keir Thomas, I'm not sure he, I'm not sure he's going to get drafted. He's a guy that, you know, with a really good year might work himself into the discussion, but he's, he's a guy that, that is a quality college player. More, if he has if he has a, se- a senior season, anything like what he had in 2018, he's going to get drafted first three rounds. Jamie Robinson, another guy that works his way into in, into the draft with a couple good years at Florida State. Not an instant like that's an NFL starter, but a guy that you know you you look at in that fifth sixth round range potentially long term, and you say, yeah, this is a guy that is going to be a passionate special teams player and a guy that can be a plug and play guy at three or four different positions in the NFL and can have some uses in packages. So you're adding some significant talent with each of these guys. And again, you're raising the floor critical when you're, when, when you're trying to rebuild the program to be able to do that. And you start to look at what they're doing and why they're adding the kinds of players that they are. And you can see that first of all, they're looking at culture. Second of all, they're looking at where, you know, you can obviously get more of the guys that are from your home state to begin with, but you start to see what schools these guys are from and you're going, okay, they're also getting into those schools just by bringing this guy in. And then the other thing is 
and this is something we'll talk about more in an upcoming podcast, Norvell understands that essentially his entire coaching future at Florida State is going to hinge on showing significant progress in 2021. He knows this because there's too much talent that is, these are just layups for Florida State to land in recruiting. It's a class loaded with legacies, loaded with guys that want to play at Florida State because of the brand, because it's where dad went or because it's, you know, it's close. There's guys that want to go to Florida State, but they're just kind of, they want to see progress. And if they can see a little progress, then he's going to land those guys and he knows it. So what is he doing? He's going out and he's trying to get guys that can immediately have impact to raise the floor so that, look, this is proof of concept. Here's how we ended up making a bowl. Here's how we won seven or eight games against a really tough schedule. Come on. And now we can build. So he wants that 2021 cl- or that 2022 class. That 2022 class needs to be his, you know, Jimbo Fisher, say 2010, 2011 classes. That's what he's trying to do. That needs to be the pivotal class, and he knows it. So he's trying to get those guys. He's trying to shift the culture to add leadership, to raise the floor so that without a doubt, there's it's bound to, to show on the field that there's progress because a little progress gets shown and he lands those guys. One other guy that we should talk about as well is another commitment that happened since the uh, the last podcast. He's not enrolling in the spring, but he's a guy that uh, that they took the commitment and uh, and he's planning on enrolling in the summer. Uh, to begin as a as a transfer, and that is Andrew Parchment. He's a 6'2", 190-pound receiver from Fort Lauderdale, Cypress Bay originally, uh, and he's coming from Kansas. So this is a guy who, coming out of high school, really was on the, you know, he was not at the Florida State level in terms of, uh, of, of recruit, as uh, of potential, you know, at where, you would, where you would grade him. And then he got to Kansas and worked his tail off and developed to a point where he's almost certainly a plug-and-play immediate starter on the outside for Florida State because of the way that he can win vertical routes. You go through, he had a few more drops than I'd like to see. I think he had six drops his, uh, his last year at, uh, at Kansas. But he's a guy that consistently wins vertical routes, shows really strong hands. And this is something that you can tell this coaching staff is really frustrated by. And we've talked about it before on this podcast. They're really frustrated by how they couldn't rely on their players to win one-on-one matchups in in on the you know back shoulder fades, those sorts of things. They want guys who in a one-on-one matchup it's 80-20 or better. They got they want guys that that give defensive backs the fear of running by you, but also are going to win those those kind of contested situations. You go through the the tape with parchment and you see that. That's what they that's what they wanted, that's what they're getting with him. He's actually he reminds me of Pokey Wilson, but a little bit more of a vertical guy, a little bigger and a little bit more of a history of winning one on one routes, whereas Pokey is a little bit more of a between the hashes kind of number two receiver. Parchment's a guy that, that does, again, raise the floor of your wide receiver group right away. I think Parchment fits with what they want to do. And so, you know, you take what you can get. And that, that's one of the other things that's complicated about this situation in the transfer portal is you're never sure exactly who's going to hit. 
Well, you, you have some ideas. I mean, there's lots of stuff that goes on in terms of back channels, in terms of knowing, you know, this guy's not happy, this guy's going to hit, all that. There's all sorts of communication that happens in the NCAA that's not official. No doubt about that. But you, you still don't know exactly everybody that's going to hit the portal. And so you, you can kind of get stuck a couple different ways. One is that, you know, you, you know you, you've got to fill certain holes and a guy hits it that, you know, he's about 80% of what you're hoping for in that. And you could decide, oh, you know, gonna wait on the exactly the right fit. And then nobody else comes. And then you passed on the guy that you could have had that would have raised your floor. And then, you know, you're, you're kind of screwed. Or you decide to snap up the guy that that's there right away. And then, you know, the elite guy that you really would have liked to have had hits. And then you don't have space for him. That's, that's sort of the, the, the situation that you could, can wind up in. And right now, you know, Florida State's in an interesting spot in terms of, of numbers. I mean, this is where... Florida State numbers wise really is is coming up against the cap and it's not the 85 cap that's the issue it's the 25 cap where just as a rule you're only allowed to bring in 25 initial counters every year so uh so that means 25 new players who are on scholarship every year and if you if you, if you didn't bring in 25 the year prior then you can back count right so you can count one you can count early enrollees back towards the prior year, but only if you have space in that prior year to count. So last year they brought in 24. I believe that's the number. Uh, they brought they brought in 24 recruits in terms of overall recruits. And then they were able to back count some some grad transfers last year. But based on my count, they've they've got basically 26 spots for this year. They should be able to back count one one of the early enrollees from this year. So they should have 26 spots. Well, they've got 16 signees in the current class, and then you've got the four that have already that they just announced this week. The two that that, that were already uh, that were already added the prior, or the three that were already added the prior uh, the prior announcement. So that's seven grad transfers that they're adding in the spring class. So you add those together, and you're at 23. And then you add parchment, and you're at 24. So that puts you with one or two more scholarships that you can add. Otherwise, you're you're over the cap and you can't go over the cap. So that, that puts you basically with, really, it looks like a maximum of two more additions, including transfers. Now that could, in theory, that could change, but I haven't seen anything credible that has suggested that it will. So you have to think that one of those guys is going to be Destin Hill. We'll talk about that when we get to the early signing. Uh, episode, but Destin Hill, the, uh, the the dynamic wide receiver from Louisiana, surely has one spot if he wants it. Tywon Malone, who uh, who visited this last week at the defensive tackle spot, would clearly have the other spot if he wants it. Doesn't look very likely that he's going to wind up in Tallahassee. I would bet on Texas A&M for him. And then at that point, you've got, okay, Hill would put you at 25. If you have another spot, and, and again, it's based on you know, you've got to got to have this official count and my count, my, my count is, is unofficial. But if I, if they've got 26, if they're going to go to 26, then you have to figure out who that last spot's going to be. And obviously a lot of us coming in figured that they would hold at least one spot for an offensive tackle. Ideally you add a plug and play left tackle. I mean, Wanya Morris from Tennessee would have been great, but obviously, uh, you know, don't really have a shot at him. You'd love to get a plug and play offensive tackle, but you can't count on that. And that's the thing. So, and that was really, in my view, when they came into the, came into the transfer season, 
the the priorities were quarterback and then edge. They needed two edges minimum. And then offensive tackle was the third priority on my list behind quarterback and edge. And that's that's just because those other spots, I think, were bigger holes. They've got some guys on the roster who can play offensive tackle and play it pretty well. Now, if they can get a guy that's a clear upgrade at offensive tackle, then then you go for it. But those guys just aren't that common in the transfer portal. That's the issue. So that's why you kind of put that at that spot. Whereas quarterback and edge, you were able to get players. So the next question is, what do you do with that final spot? So in my view, you can wait just a little bit longer, maybe for that offensive tackle spot. You can, you know, try to sit through the, through the, the spring and, and hold on to that one spot just to see if one more guy shakes loose. Or, you know, if a, if a really dynamic edge wants in, maybe, maybe add one more dynamic edge to get more pass rush. Maybe, you know, if, if a guy like Northwestern Zekuleata wants in, it's hard to, hard to turn away a guy like that. I think Markavius Big Cat Bryant from uh, Auburn, also another interesting potential addition. My suspicion is that, that they probably don't have the space for him. Same with Carney and a couple other guys. I, they could add one of those edges and I wouldn't have any, any complaints if that was the last edition and you know they wound up you know basically not adding a, an offensive tackle. Of course, then if you do that and then the right tackle hits and you might have been able to get him, then you kick yourself. So that's where they're at. And coming into the spring semester, the guys who are going to enroll in the semester are already, that, that you've already announced all those guys. So to me, it probably is in your interest to wait a little bit and and see who else shakes in, you know, into the into the transfer portal during the spring. And then if it's not going to be, if it's not a clear guy that can that can help you at offensive tackle, then you move to one of those one of those edges potentially, you know, maybe add one of those guys. So to me, that's where things stand. We're going to go ahead and take a look in the next podcast at my my thoughts on the uh, on the early signing class which does i think get impacted some by who they were able to add in the transfer uh, in the transfer portal and then you have to sort of look forward to who they should be able to add to that for next year and obviously you have to think about the two year rolling as well so we'll we'll talk about where they where they stand based on recruiting for the uh, for the 2021 class and then moving forward into the 2022 season where they're where they're going to have some clear needs and some weaknesses and all of that. But I think overall my judgment is that they've done a really dang good job in the transfer portal. It's hard to ask for for a staff to do a better job than this given where Florida State's at as a program. They're not able to sell like come and win a national championship here. Of course if they were if they had that to sell, they'd probably be a lot more choosy in terms of the guys that they would go after in the portal. But, you know, some of these guys would be wanted by a lot of different places. And they've been able to go out and grab these guys and plug them into key weaknesses, key holes, and do so in ways that you're raising the floor of your program and you're, you're adding leadership. That's all very good. And I think it bodes well. It says a lot about sort of where they can, what they can do recruiting wise when the recruiting guys that are savvy guys that have already been down the recruiting sales pitch and everything, and they know a little bit more about how things work guys that are transfers know a little bit more. They're less likely to kind of be suckered. So 
you have to, you have to be real with them, and they're that, that's going to give you a good sense of sort of how you can recruit. So those are all pluses. Those are all positives coming out of this this transfer season. I'm going to be really interested to see how some of these guys look in the in the spring, and particularly uh, Milton and Moore, given the injury record. But I do think they've raised the floor of the of the program compared to what it would would have been without some of these guys. And, uh, and that, that's reason to, to come into the 2021 or 20, yeah, the 2021 season with a little bit more optimism. We'll go ahead and wrap there. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR creations, my book, my, my forthcoming book, Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma over at shenrealestate.com in Chapel Hill and garage makeovers, the best garage remodeling company in South Florida. All the information for all of that is in the show notes. And you can of course go and buy your Mike Norvell uh, stickers and your uh, rise stickers and a number of those, you know, climb stickers and all of that in the unconquered shop. I'm Jason Staples. This has been the unconquered podcast. Thanks for listening. The unconquered podcast is brought to you by EPR creations, Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, garage makeovers of Palm beach and Broward County and the unconquered podcast shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. As well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.